Welcome to season one of Healthier Today, a podcast from AB Sound Production. I'm your host, Jared Talavera, public health advocate. You'll hear stories of individuals from around the world who have undergone tremendous triumphs to live healthier today. They also offer you lessons to do the same. In today's episode, we have Amy Behave. She's a weightlifter from England who was born with the rare condition brain arterial venous malformation, or AVM for short. Amy reflects on how her journey to getting better helped her find the motivation to care for her own health and those of others too. At the age of 26, she started noticing there was something unusual with her health. She experienced her first seizure. I was at home with a couple of friends at the time. I was um, working like a network marketing company, so we were working from home together, like a little team meeting. Have you ever had it where your own voice sounds really loud in your head? Like, I guess sometimes, like, if you have a cold and your ears are blocked, you can hear your own voice quite loud. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. But I didn't have a cold. I could just hear my own voice really loud inside my own head. And then everyone else's voice sounded really loud as if they were shouting. So I felt a bit weird. And then um, I remember sitting by the back of the <clears throat> kitchen door. We're in the kitchen at the time, so I was sitting by the back door. And the last thing I remember is looking at the floor, having deja vu. And then I woke up sitting on a spare bed. There was a paramedic in front of me. He had my hand in his hand. And I looked up and then my nan, who was already there, my nan was there, my best friend, who was already there as well, my boyfriend, who was already there as well. But then my brother was there, my mum, my sister, and I can't remember who else was there. So I was really confused. What is going on? And they're like, Amy, you've had a seizure. And I was like, huh, what a funny joke. No, really, like, what's happening? What, I don't, what's going on? Like, how did I get here? And they're like, no, you, you had a seizure. And then I remember that the last thing I remember is looking at the floor. And that's what I remember. Oh, after the seizure, I was just in a complete state of panic and I had no idea what was going on. But did you say after the surgery? I will start off with after the seizure. Okay, yeah. So I just in complete shock and really frightened because I've never had a seizure before I've never had any symptoms of anything before I just randomly had a seizure so I was yeah very curious very terrified and just almost in a dreamlike state I think I just didn't really know what was going on or if it was real because you kind of dream oh well, I've dreamed about sort of stuff like that before and I was like mm, am I gonna wake up at some point but um yeah I didn't <laughs> it was real so however Due to her age and seemingly good health, the doctors didn't think it was a seizure. Thankfully, her mother, who was a nurse, pushed further tests. She had an MRI scan. Yeah, I got to A&E, and usually they, um, if you just have like one seizure, because I was 26 at the time, I think, and if you just have like one seizure but no other like symptoms of anything, they just go, oh, you'll be all right, and they, they make you go home, basically. But my mum's a nurse, he works at the hospital and she was like, nah, that's not happening. Get her in a scan. So I had an MRI and they found like a mass on my brain. So yeah, and they're like, we don't know what it is, but you've got this thing on your brain. And I was like, oh, okay then. And then I think it was either the next day or the day after I got taken to Brighton Hospital. And my memory's really bad from there on really, but basically they told me I had an ADM. So I found it by having like a huge focal seizure where I passed out and bit my tongue about a billion times. And yeah, that uh, brought me to having an AVM. 
the end. So I found it by having like a huge focal seizure where I passed out and bit my tongue about a billion times. And yeah, that uh, brought me to having an AVM. The AVM prevented blood to travel efficiently between her brain and her heart. The condition causes a collection of blood vessels to become twisted, tangled and enlarged. In 4% of cases, an AVM can rupture, leading to a brain aneurysm. I didn't have any pain. I just passed out and I remember nothing. I only woke up with like pain in my mouth and my cheeks where I'd bitten through my cheeks and bitten my tongue. So I, had, I actually had no pain in my head at all. And, and it is normal for people's mental health to be affected after such a serious condition like, like yours. What were you most worried about when you say, when you first got that diagnosis of a brain AVM? Um, it's all kind of like a bit of a blur because, because they're quite rare and I didn't really know much about it. Um, and they ended up telling me basically the effects of an AVM is individual for everyone, but <clears throat> basically your chance of seizure um, stroke or hemorrhaging increases by like a certain percent every year. I think it's about 4%. Don't quote me on that. So, yeah, I was pretty... I think I was just in shock for a long time. An AVM can occur anywhere in the body, but most commonly, it develops in the brain or spine. Doctors are unsure what causes them. The American Association of Neurological Surgeons state that AVMs arise during birth. But most commonly it develops in the brain or spine. Doctors are unsure what causes them. The American Association of Neurological Surgeons state that AVMs arise during birth. Multiple doctor appointments and scans threw Amy into an eight-month turmoil. She was finally given a due date for her major brain surgery. During all those months of waiting, Amy confesses her mental health became pretty bad for quite a long time. And I, was, I ended up convincing myself that I was definitely going to die. Because, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know if it's a kid or maybe who's in the future, like, if you think, oh, in about one year, this is where I want to be. In about five years, years this is where I want to be. And you can kind of picture, like, where you're going to be, maybe who you're going to be with, what you want to be doing. And I couldn't picture past having brain surgery. And I've always been able to sort of visualise my future and kind of what I want to do. And the fact that I couldn't visualize past having brain surgery, yeah, I just convinced myself I was going to die. And I um, planned my funeral and wrote like letters to everyone. It was like pretty intense. I mean, th there was definitely a chance of me not waking up. AVMs are quite rare. I think it affects like less than 1% of people. Um, mine was, wasn't incredibly complicated, but it was quite big. And it was just behind my ear, just here. Mm. And I had to get two surgeons in. Well, they were telling me they had to get two surgeons in just because of the complexity of it. And they had to have a team and they had to rent some equipment from, I don't know, up north or up in Scotland somewhere. So it was quite complicated. And obviously, you then Google things. Like I remember looking for like health groups at AVM, and there really isn't many. And the ones that there are, people come out quite deformed, paralyzed. Like they're all horror stories, really mm. scary. So, from doing like a bit of like home research, which is probably never a good idea, really. I was pretty convinced there was like, I was like 50-50, like I'm gonna die or I'm not gonna die. So I think, I mean, major brain surgery in my eyes is like one of the, it's one of the biggest surgeries you can go to really, you know, that and like heart bypasses and those sorts of things. So yeah, I think 
consider it, I think I responded pretty appropriately, maybe like going a bit OTT with like the funeral, but I thought, well, I'm quite organised for it. I was like, well, if the worst case happens, at least I know what I want. The date of the surgery was pushed back on three occasions. This only added to her mounting anxiety while she waited. They kept pushing my surgery date back. They pushed it, pushed it back three times. It was supposed to happen in December. Then it was supposed to happen in February. Then it was supposed to happen in April. And they just kept pushing it. But yeah, so I just kind of thought, well, this is going to be it. I might as well, you know, enjoy the rest of the time I do have. The day of the surgery eventually arrived. Okay, my memories are scattered because I was on anti-seizure medication. And basically that it's called Kepra. And it almost sort of slows your brain down to stop it. I don't know, going into overdrive, just, you know, having a seizure, something like that anyway. Um, <clears throat> so my memory's not great, but I do remember we were basically waiting at the house. This was like a day or two before, so we were told we'd get a call in the next couple of days. And when I had that call, I then would have to go in. So we weren't sure on an exact day. So we were waiting, I think it was like a Monday or a Sunday or something, but there was a few of us at my house and the phone rang and they said, right, you're coming in tonight, you need to be here at 4pm, we're going to do the surgery tomorrow. So it was quite like, even though it wasn't a shock because we were waiting for it, it was suddenly like, ah, okay, I've got to get my stuff ready. So I'd already packed my bag actually. And we were like, right, okay, so we're going to go up there. And I can't, I think my mum, my dad, my sister, my brother and my boyfriend came with me. And it was really weird. It's almost like you're calmly driving to a place where you may, it may be the last place you'll ever be. It's just the most surreal experience. Like, I don't remember much of it, I think, because I've tried to block it out, probably. We got to the hospital. I had, like, my own room. So I kind of unpacked some bits, and I think I had a shower or something. I don't really remember. And there was one bed in there. Yeah, the family and me just kind of hang out there for a bit. There's not really much you can do. I wasn't allowed to eat or anything. And then... Everyone went home that night, apart from my boyfriend, who stayed with me. And it was just the strangest night ever, because I was like, if this is my last night on Earth, how do I want to go about it? Like, what do I want to say to people? What do I want to, like, what legacy can I leave behind or, you know, whatever? So I remember writing this Facebook post, and it still pops up in my memories every 2nd of May. And it was something along the lines of, live your life, do what you got to do, you never know what's going to happen, you know, like, don't let anyone hold you back, just go and live your dreams, kind of thing. And I couldn't sleep that night, I think I just, I think I laid on the floor with Matt, and we just laid, like, put, like, the blankets and stuff on the floor, and we just sort of laid together, and he, he did fall asleep, I just couldn't sleep, I was like, I can't sleep, like, it's my last few hours, what am I going to do? And then I don't, I think I must have just passed out and gone to sleep, and then, I was waking up at 7 a.m. the next morning and then all my family arrived and um, my surgeon came in and my surgeon is like the greatest man alive. Like we still talk all the time. We talk by text. I send him birthday texts and he's like, he's like family. He's like an uncle to me. <clears throat> and he came in and he's like, right, we're going to go down in like an hour or something. So you just need to get yourself ready. And then he also said to me, which is the weirdest thing I think you could ever say to anyone. And they didn't prepare me for what he was going to ask me and he said to me Amy if we can't get your skull back in your head if your brain swells too much do you want us to put it in one piece um just in front of sort of like your tummy or do you want it cut into two pieces and have it just you know down the sides of your abdomen and I was like 
I'm, I'm sorry, what? They're like, well, you know, if we can't fit your skull back. I was like, what, what do you mean if you can't fit my skull back in? Like, they're like, yeah, sometimes your brain swells and they can't fit it back in. So to keep the bone alive, you have to, like, put it back in your body to kind of keep it alive until your brain swelling goes down and you can put it back in. And I was like, um, I'll have it here, please. I don't even remember where I asked him to put it. But it was just the weirdest thing ever, and that completely freaked me out. So I was like, great, so I'm going to wake up with my skull in my stomach. Brilliant. And then that was when I got all my letters out of my bag and I gave the letters to people and asked them to give other letters to like, my friends and things. It was so weird. Then they came up to collect me and I was like, this is it. This could be the last time I see anyone. Like, this is it. I have to say goodbye. And it was... Oh. Damn it. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and I just had to say goodbye to everyone. And I asked if I could have someone like walk down with me to the um, surgery room because I didn't want to go on my own. So I asked my brother to go with me. So he came down. It's really weird as well because they won't, you think they'd like wheel you out and they don't. They're like, come on then. And you just get up in your gown and you just kind of walk with them. It's so weird. I remember walking, like standing in this lift and I was like, Okay, then and I still had like I had a gown on, but I still had like my pants on. They took me down to this like almost like a waiting room that had loads of beds in it, and you just kind of wait there. And they're like, "Oh, you can't. You have to be like fully naked. Like you can't have any clothes on." And that really freaked me out because um, I really don't like being. I don't like feeling vulnerable at all. So being naked and having like brain surgery, I was like, "This is the worst thing ever." So I had to take off my pants, and I was like to my brother, "I was like, I'm really sorry. You're gonna have to take my pants." <laughs> so he took my pants in his pocket. Oh, I forgot I had on scar on, that's going everywhere. Yeah, and then he came in with me to when they put you to sleep, and I had to lay on this bed, and there was a few nurses around me, I think. And me and my brother had this, like, little private joke where, um, and we've had it for, like, ever. There's a song that, it's like a, like a, like a child's song, and it's got the word necklace in it. <laughs> and my brother always used to be, um, always used to sing the song and then be like, necklace at the end. And I'd have to repeat it after him in exactly the same tone. So I'd go, necklace. And no matter how perfect I got it matched to his tone, he'd be like, nope, it's wrong. Nope, nope, nope. And it's just been this ongoing ridiculous joke forever. So they were um, explaining to me how the um, anaesthetic and stuff would work and how I'd fall asleep. So they started putting the whatever it was in my veins, I started to feel a little bit drowsy and I was, they were chatting to me and getting me to talk. And the last thing I said, which was amazing, because if I had popped my clogs, it would have been the funniest thing ever to end it on. But <laughs> I went to my brother, necklace, and he said it back. And I was like, no, you didn't get it right. And that's the last thing <laughs> I remember saying to anyone. It was so funny. Um, yeah, and then like it felt like, I don't know, one second later I was awake. So that was a really interesting uh, day. And still very emotional. Yeah, yeah, I don't talk about it that often, even though I'm quite open about it. I don't really talk about the intricate little details much. I really appreciate you for for, for really sharing your, your vulnerability because I remember that last year I featured a mother from Michigan and she has a daughter who's about, who was about four years old with cerebral palsy and it affects her ability to walk. And... Like she didn't have very much of a support system. So what she ended up doing was she started using social media and started posting videos and photos about 
about her daughter and the progress that she's making. And then, like, she got all the support from people all around the world and she never expected that. And now, like, her posts have gone viral and, like, it's this whole amazing story of, like, how the internet can be, like, this really huge support system. Or how has social media helped you with, with your recovery and even with your mental health and your support systems? Yeah, I mean, it's been like a, a bit of a lifesaver, some of it. Um, when I didn't tell anyone that I'd had, apart from people that were there and my like best, best, best friends, which, and I don't, I keep my friend circle very small. Um, I didn't really tell anyone what was happening for five months. I don't know why, I don't know if I was in denial or what. And then when I was like, feeling very, very, very low about it. I was like, okay, well, I need to turn this into a positive situation. What can I do? I was like, okay, well, I'll do a video on it and post it on YouTube, and then I don't have to talk about it, but I've talked about it. And then people, if people want to listen to it, they can. And if they don't, then they won't, and that's fine. So I posted, um, it's still up there now, but, um, yeah, um, my first video <clears throat> just explaining what I had, how I found it, what was going to happen. And um, I posted that to YouTube, and I think that's, it's only got about 5,000 views or something like that. But then it went around Facebook and I think it ended up having about 30,000 views, which is really cool. And I got loads. It's amazing. Like people, strangers are even more supportive than a lot of my best friends were. Like some of my best friends didn't, and I'm, I'm assuming it's just because they didn't know how to handle it, but they barely contacted me during it. They didn't really message to ask how I was or anything. And yet all these strangers would like completely fill up my inbox and things with wonderful supportive messages. Um, <clears throat> so I ended up doing like a couple of follow-up videos to that. And then I don't, I think everything happens for a reason. So I like, I don't, I would never wish to have not gone through that. And I'd never, I'm, so, I'm sounds weird, but I'm really glad it happened because it completely changed my life. But also from it, I've then, I did a recovery video, not for ages, but, and then people started reaching out that um, you know people that had had the same thing and I didn't I didn't know anyone that had had it before people started sort of coming forward and telling me you know thank you so much for posting you know it's nice to know we're not alone and like positive try and get like the positive side of things and be real at the same time but still look on the bright side of stuff and then since then I've done like this year I did a couple of follow-up videos like a three-year anniversary kind of videos of how I was and what I went like not really what I went through but how I am now and how I got through that and it's been amazing to have so many people message saying how much it's helping them to go through it. And again, like the support from strangers all across the world is insane. You know, people that had had the same thing. And I didn't, I didn't know anyone that had had it before. People started sort of coming forward and telling me, you know, thank you so much for posting. You know, it's nice to know we're not alone and like positive try and get like the positive side of things and be real at the same time, but still look on the bright side of stuff. And then since then, I've done like this year, I did a couple of follow-up videos, like a three-year anniversary kind of videos of how I was and what I went, like not really what I went through, but how I am now and how I've got through that. And it's been amazing to have so many people message saying how much it's helping them to go through it. And again, like the support from strangers all across the world is insane. It's amazing to see the the opportunities that you've you had like after the surgery and all these things that you 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 start to do that you've not otherwise done. So what what are some of those things that you would have 
that you've done now that you've not have done otherwise prior to the the brain surgery? It's like waking up from something like that and realizing you didn't die really makes you appreciate life and how precious it is and how short it can be, even if you think you're totally healthy, which I thought I did or I was. So yeah, it kind of gives you a slap into putting things into perspective, and it really did that. It kind of put like a rocket up my butt, let's say. <laughs> so a few things that I did was, <laughs> ever since I was about 14, I've always wanted a breast augmentation. So that year when I woke up from brain surgery, I was like, right, doing that. So that's one of the things I did. Maybe, you know, not, uh, that was just for myself. That was just something I wanted for myself, so I did that. Um, I decided that I didn't want to work for anyone else, so I took a course to become a personal trainer, and then I'll, I'll do that now as a full-time job. I kicked fitness up a gear, and I ended up doing a bodybuilding show this year, which was really cool. Um, what else? I think it's just, I mean, they're some of like the bigger things, I suppose, and I'm much more travelling as well. Have you started any hobbies? Oh, yeah, I do. I do Spanish now, started speaking Spanish. That's pretty fun. Ended up, um, I was with like a couple of circuses before, but it kind of kickstarted me again into picking up. I do like fire dancing and things, so like, it was like, right, let's just have fun. Because like I said, you don't know how long, you don't know how long you've got here. Tomorrow's never promised, mm. like they say. So I was like, well, let's have fun. So yeah, I do um, koi spinning classes now as well. Yeah, and just more, more about health and fitness. So I'm really into sort of health and fitness, and it's really made me just want to help more people just inspire and help other people just to you know be themselves and be the best version of themselves and make their life what they want it the surgery was a success whilst her physical health had been treated there was still the matter of her mental health amy sought counseling after months of depression she gradually worked to regain her mental health and improve her well-being she still finds the experience emotional to discuss. As part of my microblogs on, on Instagram, I featured a doctor from the US. She's about your age and her heart was failing. And so she needed a heart transplant and she was luckily enough to get a heart transplant within 11 days. And it normally takes a lifetime to get a heart transplant. And she said that after she got the heart transplant, she she started to become more grateful for, for life and um, it made her more of an empathic, empathic doctor for, for patients. How did, say, the brain AVM and the surgery change how you view your life? Well, I had an interesting like recovery mentally. So physically, I recovered really, really quick. So I was back in the gym in like... This is going on a slight tangent, so I will put it back. But so you're supposed to be in ICU for like a week, and you're supposed to be in hospital for two weeks after that. And I got out of hospital entirely in six days because I hated being there. So I was like somehow recovered really quickly. I ended up then going back into a gym gently, starting like two weeks after that. And I was like, right, cool, brain surgery done. It's out of the way, dealt with, get rid of it. Crack on with life. Right, let's do all these great things. Let's go traveling. Let's inspire the world. I'm going to be a superhero. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it's going to be effing brilliant and whatever. And I really expected my life to have this really massive, great big turnaround really quick because brain surgery was done. It was all over and that was it. I was going to be a freaking superstar or whatever. And it actually ended up having the opposite effect. 
eventually. So had surgery in May. I was like cracking on with life, like as if it never happened. I was like, oh, brain surgery, little bump in the road, whatever. And it hit July that same year. And I like fell into this really deep depression. Well, it started off not so deep, I suppose. It was like a little bit low. And then like by the end of the year, I was an absolute wreck. And it ended up being like for 18 months, I was like incredibly suicidal. Um, I didn't want to get out of my bed. This was before I'd done like my course and things. I wasn't going to work. I wasn't eating. I wasn't brushing. All like the classic signs of like being low. And it made it double worse because I was like, oh my God, I've just survived brain surgery. I should be really grateful for my life and I should be counting my blessings and I should be just the most positive person in the world and yet I don't even want to be alive. Like, how ungrateful. And I really, really beat myself up and really struggled with that whole thing because I really thought I was just going to be a superhero for some reason. So I ended up, um, and I didn't tell anyone. Like I was living with my boyfriend. He saw it, but I wouldn't speak to anyone about it because I'm quite, I like... I don't like asking for help, which isn't very helpful. I wanted to sort it out on my own and, you know, be a superhero. Um, but I got to a point where I was like, literally, like, if I don't do something, I'm going to do something stupid. So I ended up speaking to my mum, who went to the doctors. I cut a long story short. I went on some uh, antidepressants as such, but they're more like hormone balances. They're like serotonin in your brain. So I went on them, and then slowly and shortly, like, I started getting better and making a recovery, and then I started, like making better choices and just doing, I don't know, maybe more healthier things. And now <laughs> I'm fine. And now it's like, it is that what I wanted after I first sort of recovered. I'm now in that place where I'm like, right, grass is so much greener. The skies are so much bluer. I now like, rather than if I want to go and do something, I'll do it. As long as it's not hurting anyone or, you know, if endangering myself or more or less, I will now just go and do it. I just, I don't, you know, you don't, tomorrow is not promised. Like I said, if you wanted to go and do something, go and do it because you don't know if you're ever going to get that chance. So it's made me more of a go-getter. It's made me want to help other people more. I guess like I would like to leave a legacy of inspiring other people just to make the best of their lives. And that's what I'm trying to do with mine. Like I want to go traveling. So I'm going to do it. I'm 30. I've already been traveling, but I'm going to do it again because why not? Inspired by her newfound appreciation for life, Amy trained to become a personal trainer to help others invest into their own health and well-being. Not only that, she started competing in bodybuilding competitions. Amy is unstoppable. She advises... It's made me appreciate life more and I just think if you want something or you want to achieve something or you want to try something, you should go and do it. And for some people who have gone through... Um, these serious health conditions and from people that I've interviewed for the blog in the past that it changed what they view as something that makes them truly happy. Like that whole experience, that being with people, going traveling, all these things that, that you started mentioning brings true happiness to people. So how did that whole experience change what what you find truly happy? What did you find made you happy prior to the surgery and what makes you happy now? To be honest, <clears throat> that doesn't really change. I've always wanted to help people and I've always wanted to travel. Like they're the two things that I've always envisioned in my life is making other people smile and feeling good about themselves and feeling like they're achieving what they want. 
and going and experiencing the world and different cultures and just visiting this incredible place that we live. And the only thing that's changed is that I just want it more and I want it faster. <laughs> so that's it. It's just intensified how I feel. And it's just rather than me going, oh, should I, shouldn't I? It's just like, no, no, I should. I should definitely go and do that. So again, it's just intensified everything and made me more driven to just go and get it. And like one of the people that's been really supportive in your life is your partner, Matt. How, how did you two meet? At a gym. <laughs> we met in 2013. I was working at a gym already and he started work there. <clears throat> I remember the day I met him actually. My memory's not very good since brain surgery especially. I mean, it was never good anyway, but it's much worse now. But I remember the day I met him. He's, um, he's a big boy, six foot eight, so you can't really miss him. And I remember walking into the gym and there was this giant man in there and he was just doing this most ridiculous dance. And um, I can't remember what the first thing I said to him was now. I used to remember it, but I don't even remember anymore. But I, I think I just said, that's interesting. What are you doing? And it kind of started, I say it started from there. It didn't. We kind of like, we're just work buddies. And then um, <clears throat> we got more friendly. We um, I don't like particularly mixing with people from work as, in a social situation. So I never went out really socially with people, but... I went out to Brighton one night with my best friend and he'd gone out with the work lot and happened just to be on the same night. And I don't drink anymore, but at that time I was drinking and I was drunk, quite drunk. And <clears throat> I happened to bump into him in like the main strip in Brighton. And I <laughs> was apparently in the road, because I felt like it, and just having a chat with him. And he tried to kind of like manoeuvre me back onto the pavement, you know, out of safety, very kind of him. I don't like being touched by people. <laughs> so, regrettably, I mean, not regrettably, because it's put us where we are now, I got a little bit aggressive, which isn't, I'm not usually, you know, a fighter, but I jumped and managed to headbutt him <laughs> <laughs> in the nose. And um, we left that there, and then we went our separate ways. And then I woke up the next morning and remembered what I'd done. So I found him on Facebook, and I was like, I am so sorry. Ended up apologising and he forgave me. He now says that the only reason why I headbutted him is so I could find him on Facebook and we could start talking. But that's how we really got talking because I headbutted him. <laughs> so who asked, who asked who out first? Was it you or was it him? It just kind of happened naturally. Like We just spent more and more time together. And then I think, um, funny enough, my best friend had met a guy at the same time, pretty much like the same month. And they declared that they're in a relationship like in November 2013 and then I think we were sitting in my lounge in my mum's lounge at the time watching Teddy and we found out that they'd got into a relationship and we were just like should we do that then yeah all right and it was just kind of, <laughs> it was kind of as blase as that and here we are and here you are because both of you are highly disciplined with your with your workouts as, as, as seen yeah. on your your Instagram accounts. Yes, doing all those mm. deadlifts and the um, the squats. Exactly. So how yeah, how did you find the the motivation to start exercising again after you had that brain surgery? To be fair, after the brain surgery, I got back into yeah, I got back into training, and it took me a while to go back into work. So I ended up working at a cafe for a bit and then I worked at <clears throat> uh, the NHS 
for a while and I was just kind of a bit flipping like in and out of the gym just to kind of like keep my health and fitness up I suppose and then a couple I think a year or so passed anyway or two and um, I was still just like a bit half-assed with it really and then I started getting a bit more lax with it and then the beginning no at the end of last year I was like for me in a bit of a state so like my dinners were hummus and crackers with some cereal and some oreos for like three months i was terrible <clears throat> and it got to like the beginning of this year and i was like right i've had enough of this what am i doing i'm supposed to be a personal trainer oh i think that's it as well because i ended up getting a job at a gym i started working out a bit more but i was still a bit half-assed but i was like right, i need to do something about this if i want to get more clients i need to actually look like i train <laughs> you are a walking advertisement <clears throat> So I decided to do like a, my own like mini cut at the beginning of the year. Because I've been thinking about doing sort of bodybuilding before surgery. And then I was just, and when I had it, I was like, oh, there's no way I can ever do that now. Like, because I'm not allowed to put loads of pressure in my head. I'm not allowed to do loads of things. So that's a dream gone. <clears throat> so I thinking about it again last year, kind of. But yeah, the beginning of this year, I was like, right, if I can, if I can do three months fairly strict, then maybe, maybe I'll do a show or something. So I did these three months, um, got a bit more into the gym, sorted out my eating a bit, and I made like, some pretty good progression. I was like, okay, yeah. So I did it, and I was like, hmm, maybe I will. So I had a little look around Instagram for coaches and things like that, and I found this guy who happens to coach a couple of my friends. So I had a chat with him about potentially doing a show, and then I just suddenly thought, like, if I'm going to do it, like I'm turning 30 this year, now I'm 30, regrettably, I was like, why don't I make this like a year to remember? I was like, if, if I don't book this now, if I don't say I'm going to do this now, will I ever actually do it? And I thought I probably wouldn't. I thought I'd just probably back out and then go, oh, I'll just leave it. I'm 30 now, you know, getting old. <laughs> so I decided then and there, I was like, that's it, let's just do it. So I paid my coach and then that was it. He put me on this program. Um eating program and this training program and from april the 7th i've just been a bit of a monster i just it completely like switched me around because i had such an intense goal and it was like a big goal it just kind of it got into my head and it just became my whole life which is something i think that's quite normal when you're doing competitions but i literally put everything i had into that and it's yeah and it's just completely changed the way i look at training and eating again so even though i was pretty good beforehand apart from the end of last year um yeah i am like i don't think anything can unmotivate me just from a perspective of knowing now what my body could look like and how i can feel it's i think that's always going to be like a driving force for me and i, I like how you spoke about it in one of your youtube videos that you were telling your your clients that you can you can get stronger you can you can live longer which is 100 percent true yeah, like you're really just investing into yourself. And it's like, that's one of the best things that you can invest into. And it's like, it's more than just aesthetics. And it's more than just living longer. It's, it's really like functional. Like you're, you're training for life just to get through and be better at life. Yeah, it helps you mentally, physically, spiritually, sexually, like everything. Like it is literally like a holistic approach to health. Like, yeah. I can't really put it in any other words than that. Like, it literally is just amazing. Yeah. Because, like, if you could put, like, like exercise into a drug, 
It would have like very few side effects, help you live longer, improve your strength, improve your endurance. And like self-esteem as well, man. Yeah, like yeah. again, like going back to my clients, their self-esteem is just it's amazing to watch people develop and grow and start liking themselves and not even like it's not even just physical changes like physical changes is something that comes with it but it's everything else it's that sense of achievement and yeah like you said investing into yourself i mean what else is there to invest into like you are like the vessel for the rest of your life like if you don't invest Mm -hmm. in yourself then your life ends early like that's what there is so you're literally like extending your life which means you're extending the time with your family you're extending going on holidays you're extending your happiness aren't you yeah. I, mean, I don't really know what happens to you after you die that's mm. up for debate i suppose but yeah and you could really choose to live life with with a better quality it's like you don't just exactly. yeah exactly like you don't have to just live life um like really fatigued um just trying to get through everything like really investing into your health with with like exercise healthy nutrition like you can do so many amazing things when you start investing into your health yeah same as like um like you said it just makes life easier so again like i have a few older clients who can now walk for longer they aren't gonna break their foot by jumping off a chair like my nan did that once so i know that can happen they you know they they don't they have more independent people have more independence because you don't need to ask that bloke to get something off a shelf because you're strong enough to go and get it it means that you learn about food you know how to fuel your body which will give you energy because you're eating better things it doesn't mean you have to have take everything off the menu it just means you make better choices to give you more energy to go and see your friends or to go and get the shopping on your own or you know to go and play with your grandkids or to go and play with your own children or to go and run a mountain if you want to like it literally gives you yeah better quality of life and it educates you to fuel yourself properly because if you yeah if you don't then you're literally like cutting your life expectancy down Mm. yeah and like when we care for ourselves we're in a better position to care for others 100 percent. 100 percent. so like we grew up in like we both grew up in a time where where social media and smartphones we're really only emerging and now like almost everyone is on social media and almost everyone has has a smartphone like you can have a girl in say sydney and she's going to compare herself to say a girl in los angeles and be like hey i'm really inspired by that i want to improve my life i want to get healthy what has say your hashtag get naked um campaign done and like, can you give us a more explanation as to what that is? Because I absolutely love it. And I think this is something <laughs> that, that people would love to hear about. Yeah, I mean, it's quite like a new thing, I guess, that I've been promoting as such. But it's something that I've, again, like since surgery's kind of awakened in me. Um, I did a post about it kind of recently. I can't remember exactly what it said. But get naked, it's obviously physical, firstly, but it's... I believe, for me, it's very mental as well. Um, something that, where I've changed since surgery and since going through depression and then coming out of it, and um, I was very, I ended up in that low time being a people pleaser, so I wouldn't have my own opinions, I would just agree with whatever, I was very agreeable, let's say, to other people. Um, I was very 
self-conscious and had low self-esteem of like my own thoughts um, I was really worried about being vulnerable so I had like I still am quite a guarded person that's something I'm working on um, but yeah so like get naked is more about opening up yourself to other people and being okay with who you are I suppose it's about being not being vulnerable but allowing yourself to have your own thoughts and your own feelings and express that and not give a F what anyone else thinks because it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. They're not you, like you're living your own life and it's, you don't have to please everyone, you know, and you are able to have your own thoughts and feelings and express that. And if people don't want to listen, okay, don't listen. And physically, again, like, it, I'm very pro get naked. So if I go on holiday, I like skinny dipping and I'm not afraid to say it. My Instagram is can be a little bit questionable at times and that's fine. That's how I, I want to live. I think human bodies are beautiful, all of them. And being naked, we came into the world naked. We were always supposed to be naked. So I don't know why society has decided that we have to cover ourselves up all the time. But I think... And this, I guess, comes down a bit to social media as well, because before we get into a big debate about that, obviously there's good sides and there's bad sides to that. And the bad sides is people always post what you want them to see, which is something, again, I've been posting about recently. Like, even I do. I post what people want me to see. I don't post the stuff people don't, I don't want them to see because I don't want them to see it. And that's the same with everyone. So the unfortunate thing about that is that people then think everyone else has these perfect bodies and these perfect lives and everyone's always happy all the time and everyone always looks cool and stylish and blah 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 and everyone's boobs are like up here and everyone's waist are this big and everyone's got a six pack and whatever but that's not true some people it is true and that's just some people but actually the majority of the world everyone looks different and I think Social media has kind of wrecked that for people. And I've seen, in like, I've got younger siblings, how much they struggle with their body image because of social media. And I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with it. Ugh. I get a little bit in two minds because the stuff I post, okay, it's the angles that I like, but I do look like that. And like, if you see me at like a bodybuilding show, for instance, like, that is what I look like. So sometimes when people get a bit like, it's not realistic. Well, it is because, hi, like, I've done that as well. But it's unrealistic that sort of everyone looks like that. So I think it's kind of wrecked people, people believing they have to look a certain way, which isn't true. Like if you choose, like you want to look a certain way, that's cool, go and do that. And if you don't, that's fine. You don't have to. So yeah, get naked physically is, I just think human bodies are there to be appreciated and they're not, they don't have to be sexual all the time. They don't have to be objectified all the time. Like it's just the body, we've all got them. It doesn't have to be a sexual thing. So that's kind of where it goes physically. But yeah, mentally, it's open up. That's what people think. Own your shit, you know. It's cool. It's cool to be yourself. You don't have to be like anyone else. So it's kind of about stripping people back there, like mentally and physically. Mm. That was a long way to talk about it. But does that kind of make any sort of sense? Mm. Being healthy doesn't have to be looking like a bodybuilder. And mm -hmm. I think that's probably the misconception that a lot of people think, that you have to look like an athlete, you have to look like a bodybuilder, like these people on social media to be healthy, which is not necessarily the case. You're like, you're exercising regularly, you're, you're eating healthy. That's healthy. 
it's not what it looks like on the outside. And to be fair, um, if you're looking at like bodybuilders for a uh, body image, I'm telling you now, it is unrealistic. I'm telling you now, it is unrealistic. Like an athlete, you have to look like a bodybuilder, like these people on social media to be healthy, which is not necessarily the case. You're, like you're exercising regularly, you're, you're eating healthy, that's healthy. It's not what it looks like on the outside. And to be fair, um, if you're looking at like bodybuilders for a uh, body image, I'm telling you now, it is unrealistic. So I was like 9% body fat by show day, which is stupid low, like not healthy low. But that's, that's stage lean, that's how you have to look for the show. But that is, you look like that for maybe the last three weeks of like going through a bodybuilding prep and it's not sustainable and it's not healthy. Those last couple of like month or so of going into a bodybuilding show, you know, recently it's fitness models and stuff, it's not healthy. For instance, I was on about a thousand calories a day, which is nothing. And that's, that, a lot of people are on less than that. I was having to do 60 minutes cardio a day and an hour and a half weight training a day. And it was really hard. It was, and it's not healthy. You can't live like that. Like that is completely not doable. So the people that, you know, you do see these pictures of, you know, bodybuilders on stage on fitness models, they don't look like that all the time. They look like that building up to a show and it is them and it is a real photo of them, but that's not how they are all the time. Like you, you would die. Yeah. You would die being like that all the time. It's just not plausible. If Amy was in a room with her 18 year old self, she would tell her this. I would probably say to 18 year old Amy, but I was pretty like this anyway. I was a bit of a rebel, but you don't have to be liked by everyone. Be yourself and own your shit. That, that's it, man. That's so, it. That's probably what I'd say, yeah. I, yeah, be good, good luck getting through to 18-year-old Amy, but that is probably all I would say. That's what people think. It doesn't matter. You know, you don't, like I said, you don't have to be liked by everyone. It doesn't matter whether people think you're cool or not. Do what you want to do that makes you happy and, yeah, own it. And now you're at a point where you are the person you needed that 18-year-old Amy needed. Amy's one piece of advice to live healthier today is... This is such like a... It means a plethora of things, but like we were saying, like talking about earlier, invest in yourself. So you don't always have to spend all your money on clothes or going out or whatever. Invest in yourself whether that's physically, like joining a gym, like I would say joining a gym because I just think, even if it's not joining a gym, even if it's going running or whatever, but do something physical because it's not just a physical thing. It is a very much a mental thing. It changes your hormones and all sorts of things. Yeah, and I want to say about one mentally, but it's such an open playing field. I quite like that though, the... the where invest into yourself and that's one of the best yeah. things that you can do 100% what is one thing you took away from this episode share it on Instagram with the hashtag healthier today and tag Amy at Amy behave and myself at Jared Talavera share this podcast with one person who you think would benefit from it leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts your feedback helps make this podcast better for you Here's to you living healthier today.